Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here, as always, with my friend and my colleague and my co-host, Ross Ferguson, yeah, academic yeah. advisor. How are you, brother? I am great because I am lighter. What does that mean? It means I've lost weight. Oh, good deal. I'm literally lighter. So at the recording of this podcast, I have now lost 10 pounds. Okay. So just to be clear, I haven't technically lost it because I put all this on when I first came to America. (laughs) So I'm just kind of returning to my... That's right. You're resetting. But yeah, I've lost 10 pounds, which I'm really pleased about. haven't changed too much, just trying to walk more and eat less sugar type thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm pleased because... I'm not somebody that likes to buy new clothes. Yeah. I think it's a waste of money. I don't like it. You know, Other people can do it, but for myself, I don't like yeah. it. And I was getting to that point where I was thinking, I have two options. I'm going to have to buy some new jeans. I'm going to have to buy new jeans, <laughs> or I'm going to have to lose weight. Or I can just be really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'd done the really uncomfortable thing for a few months. I was like, okay, something's going to have to change. So I'm really pleased. Uh, I've noticed a big difference. So well, Congratulations. Um, officially, as of today, 10 pounds lost. So, Whoa. Um, Physically lighter. Look It'll be that. like in four months' time, uh, I'll be here going, it's 25 pounds. Um, no, <laughs> I, I gained 25 pounds in six months when we moved to the States. So. It's a lot easier to put on than it is to take off. Yeah. And especially the older you get, let me just say, yeah. it gets harder and harder. To be honest, what I say, everyone, when people have asked, I've said, and they're saying, how are you doing? I was like, I'm lighter but miserable. Because <laughs> I, I am a total sugar junkie type guy. Yeah, that's what I said. Nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And I'm like, yeah. you have not had <laughs> fajitas. You have not had yeah, <laughs> so pizza. I, yeah. <laughs> and my thing is, I really like Coke. I don't like Diet Coke. I don't like oh, interesting. Coke Zero. I don't like Diet Pepsi. Pepsi gives me heartburn. So my options currently is basically Pepsi with no sugar. And yeah. you know when you're it's a really hot day and you think I want a cold drink, yeah. no one is going mm, diet drink. That's what I want. Coke I want. Zero. No, I am. It's like it's my preferred dessert. I, like I'll have one at the end of the day. Like I save it. My preferred water all day. I'll have a coffee in the morning. But water all day. I drink a lot of water. And then end of the day, evening, like oh, I'm gonna have my ice. Water is just so Coke Zero. boring. <laughs> so that's why I'm so hydrating. That's so oh, I'm so hydrated. Speaking of losing weight, I feel like this is a, this room's a sauna. Do you feel like it is so hot? Today. Why is it so warm? I, I it, but it's always warm. If we step outside, for the listeners, we are in the Spurgeon Library, which has a podcast studio, has a recording studio in it. And so we're in this little we're in this aquarium with the sound equipment. If we stepped out into it's that cold. library, it's cool. Yeah, it's in this room, and it's, I feel like is it because they don't want the AC I messing don't think they with want AC running? Because I was about to say it does. And is the I, sound interferes with recording? I'm progressively getting warmer, but it feels warmer. More. It's one I'm wearing yeah. shorts today. Yeah, and you were making fun of me, but I'm a little more comfortable than and I also would the be. Headphones being on as well that kind of makes you warmer because don't you lose heat through your? I just ears feel like we should be comfortable in here, and I. I'm starting to sweat in this room, and we've got two more episodes to record. Oh, goodness. Well, I don't have a segue for this. I was going to say, speaking of being warm. Speaking of being warm and sweaty. Let's talk about what the world wants. We can talk about lukewarm. Ooh. Oh, there's a segue. You've ruined it already. I've already like, messed it up. Mm-hmm. What the world wants from a pastor. Mm. What I thought we would do is kind of look at the biblical qualifications for ministry, for pastoral ministry, and talk about the worldly expectation as a contrast. Mm -hmm. So if this is what the Lord requires or is calling for pastors to be, 
What are some of the ways that cultural expectations, the ways worldliness kind of works against these things? Mm-hmm. So there's a number of places we could go. I'm going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3. There are you know, at least two places where the qualifications are listed, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. I typically throw 1 Peter 5 in there as well. But if you're looking at like the lists, Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. I'm going to look at 1 Timothy 3. I'll just start reading. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So we don't have to go one by one or necessarily in order, but I just wondered if there are aspects of this where you think, okay, this is what the Lord requires. That's really countercultural yep. to what the world would want. Anything jump out at you? Like, what do you see that the world would want in contrast to this? I'm going to go just for the first one, husband of one wife. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to say uh, the world wants love is love. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Because husband of one wife, essentially, I think we're going to deal with this possibly on a mailbag at some point as well. But husband of one wife, we're essentially saying that if you're married, that you are living in a loving relationship with your wife, that you are not having affairs, you're not looking at images or pornography, that, that you are honorable in your marriage, that you're in your marriage. We're not saying you have to be married. We're just saying that if you are, uh, where I think the world is saying, hey, love is love. doesn't mm. matter who you love can't help who you love and this idea of restriction if you will to the world that's not what they want and the reason they don't want that is hey if the local minister the local pastor if he can have this relationship or that relationship so can i because love is love Um, oh interesting I, i i think i wonder too just about the question of faithfulness not just looking at the world but but worldliness so even worldliness in a church where we would want our pastor to be killing himself working you know I don't know, 100 hours a week or something, and, you know, neglecting his wife Mm -hmm. to do the real work of ministry or something like that, or trying to pit, you know, his loyalty Mm -hmm. of the church or ministry. We want him to sacrifice his marriage on the altar of ministry in some way. Sometimes the demands that we make of a pastor, we expect him to be a workaholic in some way, and that's certainly counter to... Fidelity, you know, marital fidelity as well. But I think you're onto something there too, just in the sense of like the, you know, marital faithfulness and relational purity, those sorts of things are devalued in, in, in the world. Although I will say, never do worldly people, you know, non Christians become more sticklers for marital faithfulness than when a pastor has a moral failing. Yes. And, and they're right, but, suddenly all the love is love stuff kind of goes out the door. It's not like, oh, you shouldn't be following your heart, you know, like you need to stay, you know. But a lot of that has to do with hypocrisy, I think. You have someone who is preaching one thing and then living another way, um, which they are right to call out for sure. So let me just start with this (laughs) sober-minded, self-controlled aspect as, as well. There's an interesting phenomenon, and 
again, I think this is a worldliness that has crept even into evangelicalism where we expect our pastors to be pundits in yeah. some way, to be outsized characters, yeah. to be dynamic would be putting it lightly because there's nothing really wrong with being dynamic. But we expect every pastor to be some kind of larger-than-life mm-hmm. public platformed personality. And so often somebody who's having to stretch into that persona has to go against this sort of – you know, the commands of self-control and respectability and just sort of the, yeah, sober-minded in the sense of, you know, not that they're, you know, I guess, peaceable, I yeah. guess is the question there, that we want someone who's a lightning rod. Yes, yeah. And certainly I think, you know, the Lord anoints some people for those roles, but the idea that, gosh, if my pastor's not out there, you know, yelling at people every day on social media or something, then he's really not being faithful. Yeah, and that's what I put for kind of respectable, self-controlled, and sober-minded. Kind of put those three together. I kind of put that the world wants a, a cool dude, clean, professional. Mm. He wins arguments. He's a great debater. He's manipulative because he gets to win. It's less about the argument, more about the winning. Hey, my pastor can uh. take on anyone on Twitter, and he always wins. Uh, <laughs> and look at me. And, and the kind of way I phrased it, he's cool, professional, but he can kick back with a beer with you is that kind of like his frontage is I'm a winner and mm. but he can still chill out and put his feet up and that's the self-controlled bit he can turn it on and he can turn it off type thing <laughs> and the reason I'm saying this is actually Twitter is one of those environment, environments you see this where you see these, these guys preaching wonderful messages on Sundays and then they're just in every argument and discussion and winning is all that matters yeah. and that's just not what this is self-controlled saying I don't need to be in this argument this is not my game. I'm not here to do that. Sober-minded. Yeah, you disagree with me. That's okay. Title to your opinion type thing. And that's not actually what the world wants. And it's not what I would say. I think a lot of young pastors kind of going into ministry get this kind of wrong as well. As in they go into this, I'm self-controlled on Twitter. I don't like, I don't call out and when I watch my language, but you know, sometimes you just have to tell people what they need to hear, you know, and it's that, Mm. Because that's what the people want. They want a you know slightly abrasive type character. Yeah, there's a difference, isn't there, between like a prophetic stance mm-hmm. and a pugilistic <laughs> demeanor, a yeah. pugilistic. You know, somebody gave me some good advice a few years ago. They basically just said, you know, pick your shots. Yes, it's it's not like. And what I've learned is, if you do like if if you're selective. It resonates that much more. Yeah. If every single day I'm going to social media as like, yeah. Yeah, here comes the, you know, I'm bringing yeah. the pain, everybody. Yeah. You just get tuned out. I mean, you can attract a little crowd. You can attract some people who are kind of, you know, who like that sort of thing. But you're never going to convince anybody otherwise. And but if you're generally peaceable, respectable, mm-hmm. self-controlled, you know, sober-minded. Then when you have to do something firm or you say something bold, suddenly it's like, whoa. People pay attention. People pay more yeah. attention, actually. It, it, it lands differently. I think the, you know, the mandate not to be quarrelsome fits into this as yeah. well. Yeah. There are certainly battles worth fighting, but not every battle is an invitation to fight. Yeah. And not every battle is worth fighting. And not every day is for fighting with other people, especially the brethren. Yeah, I mean, I just think of Christ as well. Like, if you think about through the Gospels, who he took on 
it was actually relatively rare that he went to the I'm going at you on this situation. Yeah. And it was often the Pharisees that he went for in that sense. But but also in his his sham trial towards his crucifixion, the silence of Jesus is deafening at that point. And it's that self-controlled, sober-minded. He knew the task. It didn't matter if he needed to argue because he wasn't going to win because that wasn't God's plan. God's plan yeah. was for this. So I often think of that when it comes to social media. Do I want to be like Christ before Pilate, very selective with my words and when I choose to do them, or do I want to be like the mob screaming? Um, And I think when we pull Mm. back, the world wants the mob, they want the voices. It's freedom to be able to say those things. But that's not what the pastor is called to. The pastor is not called to be in the mob. I wonder what's the place today of, you know, Bible passages like Paul saying to the church, why not rather be wronged? Mm, mm-hmm. You know, why not rather be defrauded? And I don't think that's Paul saying you should be a doormat in every circumstance possible. Never stand up for yourself. But in that specific instance, it's like the idea of vengeance, of fighting, of getting back, of getting even. Yeah. And he's calling them to look to a higher satisfaction. Or you know, the author of Hebrews saying that the you know the people of God joyfully endured the plundering of their property because they had themselves had a better and lasting you know, possession. I remember a couple of years ago, I cited, well, I didn't cite it. I quoted that verse to somebody in a conversation online. And this guy's a pastor, you know, joyfully enduring the you know plundering of their property. And he said, I don't think he knew it was a Bible verse. He said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It was worldly wisdom yeah. is hearing this Bible verse without me citing it yeah. and saying, you don't just joyfully, like, that's the dumbest thing. That's yeah. the stupidest thing. And I was like, that's literally the Lord's inspiration yeah. that the early Christians just endured the plundering of their property because they knew that they had heaven as their possession. Yeah. Again, I don't think that's a blanket prescription, yeah. but it's still an option. <laughs> yeah, there's, you still need to defend the faith, but what we're not talking about is defend the faith at all costs. Mm. And if you're losing respectability, if you're becoming quarrelsome, if you're no longer sober-minded and you can't just sit and on look at Twitter and go, meh, okay, they're saying that, and move on, if you're getting wrapped up in it, you're disqualifying yourself in these characteristics. So yeah. uh, my next one is hospitable. Okay. And I've put an influencer that you can connect with and aspire to. Oh. Um, so hospitable, we actually read a book with the pastoral training center on being hospitable and what that means to be generous to those that you don't know, opening your home, all these sorts of things. And I think in the modern world, our current society, people are looking for the leg up. How do I get to the next step? Mm. How do I get the house, the following, the, you know, the Twitter followers, the Facebook followers, the Instagram followers? How do I make myself be more, be bigger? Well, one of the easiest ways you can do that is connect yourself with somebody who is an influencer. And if that pastor is well known, and I'm, I'm not picking on you, but like you, you've written multiple books. You know, if I could just be the friend of Jared Wilson, if I could just kind of come <laughs> and, along. And you me. can say, it's not all it's cracked it up really to be. It really isn't, folks. It really isn't. <laughs> you know? Everyone's just like, hey, Jared Wilson on the podcast. And who's that other guy? Uh, but no, it, I think that's true that if you can sidle along somebody and you get to even be in their house and, you know, you get known for going, you know, for meals with them, you know, if they like the pastor, then they're going to like me. If they offer something to that guy, they'll probably offer something to me because, you know, I'm his friend. And I think that to me, 
is a really unbiblical viewpoint of hospitality. You don't, we don't want our pastors to be influencers. Uh, mm. we're, we're reading a, a, a book at the minute uh, by Zach Eswine, and he talks about the the fame shy Jesus. Yeah. That we're not doing something to get a name. We're not opening our doors to give meals. Uh, to people opening our homes to give time to people because we want you to get one up on this world and get another position we want to care for you we want to mm. love you but I think that's not I don't think the world wants a, a lovely chat over a bowl of soup or chill out in someone's house to be able to feel like they have a home a family I think a lot of society wants somebody that will get them to the next stage in life how do you think this plays out in a lot of local churches because I think there are congregations that expect their pastors to be hospitable mm-hmm. in some ways. And yet I also wonder if there's misconceptions or misunderstandings of what that actually looks like, you know, to let someone in. Mm-hmm. When you let someone in, the gloss comes off. Oh, yeah. Are there churches that are like, no, we, we just want the image of you on Sunday mornings. We, we want you to perform for us. We don't want to see that yeah. the mess in your living room or, you know. Yeah, and I think if you take hospitality as people you know, one of the things I think is an issue when it comes to pastors is often people will feel they have a select few that they get to spend a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. And actually a lot of the other church members haven't been to the parsonage. So one of the way we counteracted that, Miriam and I, is we did open houses twice a year. One in the summer, one in the winter, and just say, hey, all members are invited. Is it come and go as you please? It's this whole day Saturday. We'll have food to come and enjoy. Usually people would come and then never go. And then we'd have too many people in our house. We once had 60 people in a house that could definitely not handle 60. Wow. Uh, but that removes this air off. There's a select few that get to do it. But I also think if it's towards strangers, as in people you don't know, inviting them into your own home, just taking off that facade of, yes, I have a public role. But I'm also just a dad and a husband and a guy. And yeah, we've got... Our house has got things that is wrong with it, and yeah, we need to repair them, and yeah, I haven't cut the grass yet this week, and yeah, my car needs washed or whatever. You know, all these things, I think it normalizes the pastor, and you want to do that because the pastor is just as broken as you are, but the world doesn't really want that because in this world of kind of celebrity and influencer, any chink on that armor, oh, they're not good. We need to follow somebody else. And I think if you open your home and it's just like, oh, your home's not that impressive yeah well then you're not that impressive i think uh, you know the the way it sort of strikes me inside the dynamic of a local church kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about wanting to be with someone who's impressive or someone who has influence we want them to be an influencer when i think about how difficult a lot of pastors say it is to have friends especially friends within the congregation because it's very hard to just be yourself. You have yeah. to always kind of have the pastor hat on. And I think sometimes there are folks in the church like, oh, I don't want you as a friend. I yeah. want you as an influencer. I, I, maybe I want to get close to you, but because that I think I'm buying credit in some way yeah. or your leverage for me. And certainly I think we can all think of examples. I knew that there were people who wanted to be close to me or to my wife yeah. because they thought it was somehow buying them influence yeah. or they just got some kind of satisfaction out of being with the pastor. Yeah. When really I was just looking for someone who wanted to be with Jared yeah. and I could be myself with. and So they weren't looking for me to be hospitable. They were looking for me to be influential maybe, yeah. I guess, yeah. or you know, impressive, I guess, in, in some way. Let's look at able to teach. This is an interesting mm-hmm. one. We certainly want you know, good teaching, so to speak. We want someone to be a good public communicator. But some of the ways we expect or the world would expect, you know, 
the public communication to take place kind of cuts against what really is meant by able to teach. So I, like I think of you know some of the secret churches that I was a part of in the early you know days of my you know Christian ministry and what we wanted from the preacher was a, a dynamic personality, someone who was very creative, a lot of creativity, someone who could make us laugh and could play on our emotions. And we were looking for a performer, mm-hmm. which isn't really what able yeah. to teach even means, yeah. right? I mean, able to teach is what it's about being able to explain the scriptures, to understand and communicate the scriptures in an effective and understandable way. Certainly, I think it has some implications for being a good communicator, but not always, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think um, everyone who's qualified uh, as a pastor able to teach is necessarily wired for week-in, week-out pulpit ministry. Yeah. They may be great in small group settings or Sunday school settings or just discipleship, yeah. that, you know, someone who sits down with somebody to disciple them and explain the Bible to them. Able to teach comes into play there, even yeah. if they're not someone who can stand up in a pulpit. But some of the things we expect of our pulpiteers... Yeah. Is is either contrary to this or at least sort of extraneous to yeah. this? Don't you think? I, I think it's like TED talks. People want okay. TED talks. Yeah. I also yeah. think of like the yearly Apple launch. You know that big platform that you can walk around on, no notes. You don't need a stand. You're kind of cool, funky, engaging. <laughs> right. And that is so far removed from sitting around with six people in the living room just kind of going, okay, so here's these three verses. What do you think that says? Okay, why don't we think about this? And yeah, I, I think it's so far removed. And I think one of the issues when we think about able to teach is we limit that down to the Sunday morning sermon. And that is why we often think TED Talk dynamic individual and I totally agree with you. There can be a guy who, yeah, he can do a sermon. It might not be phenomenal, but he can do it. But man, get him in a small group and just people just begin to understand scripture. He's fantastic at that. And I think it's important that when we're looking at pastors and elders, and whether that be you, you know lay elders, your team, the lead pastor, whatever it be, you want to look at a whole rounded able to teach. Not just like, man, he's great up there on the platform. Yeah. But when he's in a room, he has no idea what he's doing. Because that's, I think, able to teach. Mm. It doesn't matter what setting you're in, you're able to open the scriptures and lead people. If, but again, the people, like the world, and I think therefore the church influenced by the world, loves this kind of TED Talk style of 20 minutes, short, snappy. Man, wasn't that great? Wasn't it inspiring? Yeah. You know, trying to do a TED Talk on the prophets and the demise of <laughs> Israel. Do you know? Right. And I think this is where topical preaching comes in. Because topical preaching seems so engaging, but that's because we've created an incorrect assumption of what engaging is, mm. which is this kind of dynamism that, that's produced. Yeah, I guess what the world would want is a performance artist in some way, kind of, mm. you know, back in the day, they were looking at like for a Rob Bell type yeah. guy, you know, who was just really engaging, really thoughtful, poetic, eloquent arresting and yet you know when he weigh what he was doing against the scriptures like there's like no depth to this at all it has the appearance of depth but it's all smoke and mirrors you know I mean, I think of Midwestern uh, Seminary's Chapel. We have two a week during semester time. And lots of guys kind of come and go. We have professors that do it as well as visiting speakers. And the one that stands out to me, I've been, you know, I think I've been nearly to every single one, maybe bar a couple since we moved here, was Dr. Yates's one. He opened and he was talking about the sheep pen and the shepherd caring for the sheep. He just opened his Bible 
and he just talked about it and he just shared what that passage meant mm. and then just openly said, hey, these are the things we're looking for in shepherds. This is what scripture says. It wasn't necessarily dynamic. It wasn't really a TED talk and, you know, Dr. Yates wasn't like this big influencer that came and the, the crowds had flooded. It was just a guy opening scriptures with the ability to teach. And I'll tell you, his talk, his sermon, that stuck in my head the whole time. Just this kind of wow. simple approach to God's word. That's good. So my next one, I'm going to kind of take these two things together. And okay. It sounds a bit weird to take them together, but not a drunkard and not violent but gentle. Okay. Because it's kind of, it's roughly the same thing I'm trying to talk about. So not a drunkard. This is what I wrote down. Funny when tipsy and in control of any substance, quote, any substance. So not a drunkard, really speaking, not known for addiction, not known for pushing those limits. But, you know, when the pastor drinks a little bit too much, he's quite funny when he's tipsy. <laughs> he's not violent. He doesn't get rude. He's just, you know, kind of chilled out guy. He's quite funny. It's, it's funny to see him like that because people feel like, hey, if the pastor can be chilled out and a little bit tipsy, then so can yeah. I. And when I said in control of any substance, when we see not a drunkard, we just immediately think of alcohol and just place it to that. Uh, well, it doesn't mention marijuana. It doesn't mention oh, anything right. like this. You know, he controls it. That's fine. And I think really what this, the, the thrust of this not a drunkard is getting is not controlled by any form of substance and specifically not known as somebody that lives his life by that substance. Mm. Um, but the world wants the kind of funny, cool dude. And that was then falls into not violent, but gentle, which is, <laughs> my wife and I talked about this. We want muscular, but without using it. We, you want what? Muscular. Muscular. Muscular without using it. Not violent, but gentle. Oh, There's oh, this oh, kind oh. of worldly image of, yeah. again, this is the TED Talk influencer yeah. who, you know, his, his T-shirt's tight because, you know, he's got the muscles, he's fit, <laughs> he's healthy. Well, you're on your way. You've lost 10 pounds. <laughs> like, you're getting there. Oh, it's a long way away from that. <laughs> but there's this idea of, you know, muscular, healthy, specifically in the kind of Pentecostal movement. This is quite hmm. something that quite often is the case. But, you know, we don't want him to be violent. So we don't want him to use it. We don't want him to be doing boxing or be known as being violent. But we still want him to look right. So for me, this is look right and behave right is very different in the world. We're willing to kind of go a little bit more towards the line in the world. Am I way off mark here? You're kind of looking at me. No, like, oh, I'm, I'm contemplating. I'm looking at the not violent but gentle and thinking, yes, I, I do think that's a thing where – like the image, the Im we want us, yeah, the celebrity type experience, mm -hmm. the persona. Yeah, we're not really into a pastor, but a persona approach. I also wonder if this not violent or n not a drunkard, not violent but gentle. The contrast to that sometimes too is the person who it's not necessarily a substance, but they're drunk on power or yeah. m that. maybe influence or something. But also the not violent. But gentle, the guy who is, well, I mean, not quarrelsome comes right after that. I think we talked about that. Yeah. The guy who's just always getting in fights and the guy who's domineering and which are other things forbidden from, you know, from pastors is to, you know, really throw their weight around, yeah. to be pushy. And what's really interesting, brother, is I feel like, so we had that for a little bit, but even in the, like in the gospel-centered movement and then, and and we had to deal with the fallout of that, the impact of that, the, the toxicity of that, and got rid of it. And then we went right back into mm -hmm. there's a whole contingent of folks who like they yearn for that again. Yeah, we want the strong man. Yeah, you know, man, maybe you know Driscoll wasn't half bad actually. And, yeah, 
you know, how oh, he didn't get everything right, but yeah. we really need somebody to yell at us every, you know, yeah. every now and then. And you're like, no, I mean, are, are you looking at the qualifications or yeah. not? Are, yeah. are, I mean, is gentleness a qualification or is it not? I, you know, we don't need someone who's hammering us with the law constantly. That's you know, contrary to the spirit of the gospel, it's contrary to the qualifications for the pastorate. What is it in us that wants the strong man, yeah, that wants the bully? We love the bullies. Because the gentleness we see is kind of weakness. Yeah, we again, see it that, as weak. That yeah. talks to the image as well. If he doesn't have, you know, rippling muscles and, you know, he's really fit and healthy and, you know, he kind of looks aggressive, well, then he's probably weak. You know, it's that kind of sense of... There's this image we have of ministers and pastors of old, and they tended to be suited and booted, you know, carrying a little bit of weight, a little bit older, you know, that type of thing. And now it's this young and cool and hip, and which speaks to a little bit about not a recent convert as well. I kind of pulled mm. this in. We love a rags to riches redemption story. So this idea of a recent convert not being the best thing for a pastor. Well, you know, how can you help him? He's just became a Christian. He's young. Look at him. He looks fantastic. He sounds great. Everyone's flooding to hear him. It's okay. He's only been a Christian for six months. And again, those are the types of guys that tend to go the more aggressive route. You need to hear this. This is what we need to do. This is how things will change. And it's kind of all speaking to this kind of weird obsession with we don't want to be gently treated, which is just I think unusual, and I, w I wonder if it's just because we don't have experience of it. I know a particular pastor I've got in mind, I think he's actually just retired recently. He was one of the most gentle guys I know, and to be honest, his ministry was wonderful because of it. Do you mm. know, you always wanted to go and see him. He's the guy you wanted to see, because he's the guy that will buy you lunch, he'll sit with you, you'll chat, and you just think, wow, that, that was lovely, I'm so glad. And he's the type of guy that will tell you off, and you thank you, you thank him for telling you <laughs> off. You're like, yeah. thank you so much for gently guiding me this. Mm. But for some reason, we have this obsession with this Hulk-esque guy. I wonder if, is it modern society, the movies we're watching? Do you know, I'm just thinking Marvel movies, Dwayne Johnson, hey, Fast 10, we went to see that. <laughs> you know, is it this obsession with the hero is the aggressive guy that can somehow yeah. control his aggression? You know? Well, I think from the from the crowd that's most, you know, calling for this, I think it has more to do with a fear of being losers or fear of losing or a fear of weakness mm -hmm. culturally, et cetera. And they think we we need, you know, because I don't even see like the restraint. I don't think that yeah. they're asking for someone to restrain. I think they're looking for someone who's going to lead the war or yeah. who's going to go into battle, someone who's going to come in swinging, and that's what we want. And they see that as that's the, you know, ref reformation kind of spirit. And I wonder if this ties into – I'd love to talk about, you know, the qualification that pastors must be – must have a good reputation with outsiders yeah. because one, the world would want that. Yeah. What does it mean to have a good reputation? Yeah. It. You know, it doesn't mean that you always, you know, tell the world what the world wants to hear. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're a compromiser or accommodating culturally, but it does mean something, right? Yeah. So it was interesting that I was thinking when you think of well thought of, who's well thought of in society? Well, it's the impressive people. It's the people that are effective <laughs> in communication. Yeah. If you think politics, if you think anything like that, who do we think well off? Oh, he was able to get that argument well across. I mean, that was great. Yeah, I know his life's a bit dodgy or whatever, you know, but this is okay. Think of local community, local school. What do we think of well thought of a school? Hey, they do well at teaching. You know, it's like success. Where I think more of, 
you know, the person that loves other people. So, so we were visiting a, a church this weekend and one of the pastors took us to the creamy and the creamy is where you get ice cream and milkshakes and all this sort of stuff. It was great. It was fantastic. And again, it's just that when you're standing there, you know, it's saying, you know, hey, what's your name? Oh, Donna, nice to meet you. You know, I, I serve locally. Thanks for this. What's the favorite flavor? Next time you visit, hey, Donna, you remember the yeah, name. Right, right. It's how you're treating people. So I think well thought of is not only, you know, oh, he preaches that and you can kind of see it in his life, but also he's really kind towards me. He always has a, a wonderful word that day. So my example of this, and this is really the best way I can think of it, is my father was well known in the local supermarket. So the local supermarket for us was called Asda, very similar to Walmart, a little bit smaller. And he was well known for being the guy that would share the gospel with people, all these sorts of things. <laughs> my dad used to wear ties with John 3.16 on and all this sort of stuff. And he was just well known by everybody that worked there. And so the, my mother and him would go every Saturday to do shopping. Now, when my dad died, the store closed for a minute. No one was served for a minute. And they announced a silence mm. in the store. My dad wasn't impressive. He was an okay communicator. He had a mess of a life, do you know, in history. And he just went and did his shopping every Saturday. Nothing too impressive about that, is it? Yeah. But he just talked to everyone. Everyone loved him. He always encouraged people, always cared for them. And he would tell them, people, you know, I'm buying this shopping for somebody that really needs it. I'm hoping to surprise them with it. And he was just known. Now that, well thought of. That, to me, has always impressed me. He didn't do anything groundbreaking. He wasn't an influencer. He wasn't impressive in the community. He was just the guy that was always there, always loving, always gentle. And that, to me, is well thought of. Yeah. Because you could then look at his life and you could also see it in his life. Yeah. And so for me, that's that, to me, is well thought of. Again, the world kind of just goes like, oh, there's that weird guy talking to me again. Like, I, I'm on Instagram. I'm trying to get, you know, my thing up or I've got to quickly get to the office or I'm doing 101 things. But actually just being the person who loves the community. Yeah. What the world wants, if the world was reading this list, yeah, we want for you to have a good reputation with us would mean telling us what we want to hear, going with the way of the world, accommodating to the culture, agreeing that, you know, love is love, yeah. agree, you know, n- not rocking the boat for any of those sorts of things. That's what, you know, it means to have a good reputation. And yet, uh, you know, what you're describing is influence, is impressive, but it's through meekness and through yeah. love and through yeah. kindness and the way that the Lord uses what is, you know, foolish to shame the wise and weak to shame the strong. Um, yeah, I, I think being a good citizen and yeah. being a good neighbor, yeah. I mean, those are, you know, the true sort of center of having a good reputation with outsiders. Um, anything else to say? No, I'm out. Of, I'm out I'm, on my I'm list. Kind of I think we could have talked about, you know, you know, what does the world want about, you know, child rearing and those sorts of things. But um, that's a pretty good. Yeah, I, I think sketch. it's just one of the key things is, to, you know, whether you're aspiring to ministry, you're, you're, you know, you're not quite yet in there or you're in ministry or you're, or you're a veteran and you've been in it for a while. Don't go to what the world wants you to go to. Yeah. You've got the qualifications before you follow these things. These are the things that God wants you to be. Don't kowtow to the pressure that is the world or the pressure within your own church to be something else. And yeah, you might lose some friends and the community might not like you for some of these things. And you might have members leave your church. But your answer to God is not how many members you kept or how much your community loved you. It's 
Were you honorable to these things? That's why it's a noble task That's right. to ignore the world. So, yeah, my encouragement would just be if you're currently finding yourself going the way of the world, going through these things, stop now. Make today that moment off. Actually, no, those are not the qualifications that God calls me to. This is what I'm going to live my life. And I think you'll have a blessed ministry. I'm not talking numerically or, or anything. Like that. I just think your ministry will be blessed if you live in these things. That's a good word to end on. We would like our podcast to be blessed. So if you enjoyed it, if you enjoyed it, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, dear listener, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.